Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I'm Dan Pasuda, joined here by Rich Rebar. Rich, fit June, uh, which means football's coming, but also, uh, again, kind of as we talk, not really a lot newsworthy happening, uh, but it's it's on the way. Uh, so how are we doing today? Yeah, I saw Field Yates tweet the other day that we were, what, we were 100 days away from opening kickoff, and I was at first I was like, nervous and scared and like a little excited all at the same time it was like the saved by the bell episode with with jesse's on the caffeine pills but uh yeah we're kind of getting there summer is basically arrived now my allergies are still killing me uh so i know it has arrived (laughs) uh yeah um it's one of those things getting uh getting warmer which is which is nice um you know spring uh, spring didn't happen uh at least here uh around the new york city area you know, you get a like a week and a half of spring uh, where it's like <laughs> nicely 60 and then it's either like 80 or it's 50 and sometimes both in the same day. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like 90 for like yep. two straight months. So that's always fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's how it's been here, too. Like we don't really have seasons anymore. We basically just have winter and summer. And then there's like a little bit gap of the the merger. But there really is no like transitional season anymore. No, no, not at all. Um <laughs> That's kind of how football is too. There is it. It just it went away. There we go. You you hit my transition there. Um, it just yeah, it goes right into the one thing or another. There's like you know, just like barely weeks at a time where where nothing is really happening, uh, and even then, like things are kind of happening, and we'll we'll make a big deal about you know some things, but again, not anything we're going to go in depth uh, on podcasts about. Uh, right now because uh, like we kind of talked about last week there's only you know so many things we can take away from from OTAs that are actually actionable and and things worth discussing more than uh more than they are on when we see them go up on the Twitter feed so you don't want uh, to talk about Christian Watson's drops no <laughs> me neither <laughs> no no I don't um Romeo Dubes that but uh Dobes Dubes I have I still have no idea how to pronounce his name like I've liked him since like he came up on leaderboards and stuff like last year um a good player so you know I wouldn't be surprised if he's better but especially like in year one but again it's we're barely we're not even at training camp yet so uh the, the drops thing let's let's not overreact to anything um so Rogers is out here playing golf. Like he's not even there to get like aggravated by it. <laughs> yeah, he's probably. Um, I did not watch any of the golf, um, but it's, it sounds like it was fine. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. Um, all right. This is a great opening here. Um, this, is, this is where we're where we're going with some of the stuff. So uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been going uh, running through some of your uh, you know fantasy rankings, and we're going to uh, continue that uh, today. We've hit quarterbacks, we've hit wide receivers. Uh, today, we're going to go over running backs, uh, which again uh, we kind of hit on it in the intro to last week's episode with the wide receivers um you know running backs still you know matter quite a bit there's so few guys that are kind of handling um you know the the workhorse type of role uh which make those guys super valuable why they're going to go really high uh in drafts um and that's kind of going to shape how kind of some fantasy football rosters 
and drafts go because there are so few of them now. So again, with you know all these other positions, you've been you know running through just kind of the the trends and and usage of a lot of these positions. So when you were looking at uh, the running backs and how that usage has kind of changed what we saw in 2021, what that can kind of do for 2022. Uh, what stood out to you? Yeah, there's a, a lot of things. And I think paired with, we're doing the unit rankings as well for the, the sharp football preview book. And, you know, when you're doing those unit rankings, you realize that like, basically there are like no bad, like backfields in the NFL. There's a couple, but like very few, like I was getting into like the twenties, like, Oh, this is a decent backfield. Like, you know, like, and you know, but, and that's kind of transitioned into how we've seen like usage kind of fall to the running back position. We've got a lot more players touching the football at the running back position than ever on a per team basis. Uh, and then we also have running backs touching the ball at a lower rate on a league-wide basis. So when you pair those things up, it's kind of created this very scarce resource of having these backs that, one, control their own backfields, and two, are used in a full capacity uh, when they are able to control their backfields uh, for fantasy football. And they're, they're, so, they're just so few of these guys that are actual bell cows and workhorses across the fantasy landscape. And as much as we want to kind of say like, yeah, we can go wide receiver heavy and as much as zero RBs become a thing, that's still the position providing the largest positional leverage on a per week and per season basis are these elite running backs. Uh, there's definite, you know, fall off and where people stick with the running back position too long, which has created things like the running back dead zone. But these elite running backs still are providing a lot of tactical leverage for your fantasy rosters. But they're also so few of these guys that it still just push them kind of up the boards. Uh, you look at like league wide touch percentages, like compared to the previous decade, like we are still way down. Almost running back term was accounting for a full 5% fewer league wide touches now than they were just a decade ago. Receiving for running backs has fallen like off the map. Uh, you know, you pair that with, I think, a few things that go into that. One, we have more mobile quarterbacks, so you're not getting as much like check downs. We're getting more usage of three plus wide receivers on the field uh, than ever before. So we're getting the football to more wide receivers, the running backs. Uh, and then we just don't have a lot of these, you know, guys, like I said, that are just full on like passing weapons. You've got running backs. They'll get targets, but are they adding anything to the passing game? Like Josh Jacobs last year had a career high in targets, but didn't add anything. There was no reason for him to get those targets. So to believe that they're going to be static is something. Uh, that we really can't latch on to. I mean, you look at last year, it was the first time since targets have ever been tracked since 1992. So we're what, that's, we got 30 NFL seasons we're covering. And we didn't have one running back at all account for 15% of his team targets or more over across the full season. Uh, you know, Alvin Kamara would have if he would have played the full season, but he is the only guy, if you, you extrapolate out his usage on a per game basis, uh, which is pretty wild to think about. Uh, you know, we just came from like 27, 2018, where that was like a big boom, where we had Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. Uh, these guys account for all these targets. And that's kind of really dried up across the, you know, the landscape. And it's really kind of hurt uh, those unicorn backs, the, the surplus and supply of those guys, or even guys that can get by just on receiving, because even in your standard leagues that don't reward the actual reception, it's still a, a, a target is worth more than a rushing attempt, which is a high hurdle for people to like clear. Even when you're not getting points for the catch, it still holds true because of the weight, the yardage for a reception gets versus a, a carry. Uh, so we've seen that kind of impact last year. Jonathan Taylor was the RB1 in fantasy last year. Uh, just 23.6% of his PPR points last year came from receiving. That was the lowest rate for the RB1 overall since Adrian Peterson in 2012 and that's something that has consistently kind of dropped 
uh, the last couple of years. And it's allowed guys that don't have like a big surplus of receiving production to kind of elevate themselves, a Derrick Henry, uh, a Nick Chubb. Even guys are kind of middling receiving production, like a Joe Mixon or a Dalvin Cook, have been able to kind of thrive now in this new environment. But running backs just aren't catching a lot of passes. Um, and I think that's something that's going to be static because running back receptions aren't something teams should be really looking to do anyways. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like I I remember it, it, this was a big conversation like a, a couple years ago mm-hmm. about, um, you know, it, there's always, especially in the, the little analytics uh, sphere that we kind of have going on here about, you know, running back value uh, and those things. And, and there was a big thing about, you know, running back production. And, and one of those things um, when I looked into it is, you know, running back targets can be valuable when they're uh, beyond the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you have an actual, you know, receiving back, uh, who can, you know, run those type of routes, have those type of catches, but so often, you know, those, those are the checkdowns, um, and, you know, passes behind the line of scrimmage are just I- ineffective, no matter who, uh, is getting those targets. Usually they're, they're very inefficient, usually like negative EPA, um, when you do that. So, so often when those are, you know, the, the checkdowns, they're still happening behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and then, like you said, I think a big part of that is these, these quarterbacks now, uh, yeah. I think you look at, uh, uh it was, uh, Nate Tice. I think you know, it was yesterday, uh, was putting out some clips of, uh, the Ravens and when, you know, the Ravens aren't probably in offense, we should, you know, base a lot of things around just structurally, but, uh, there there's plays where the running backs don't even turn around to be the check down. They're just looking for people to block because Lamar, Lamar is the check down. Right. So I, I think we, we do have more, uh, players, uh, and quarterbacks like that, uh, which definitely is impacting, uh, like you said, how we're seeing some some running back targets. Um, and you know, we're it, it, I, and but you also have guys like I you talk about, you know, the the Josh Jacobs or whatever. Like Najee Harris had, well, I think he led in uh, in target share for yep. running backs uh, because because he like he was the checkdown like he was. The, the Pittsburgh offense um, uh, because they, they got rid of the ball quickly. They had n- nowhere else to go. Um, there were some offenses like that, uh, which, which is what we saw uh, and how there were, you know, so many targets. Uh, he had a game with 19 offense. targets last year. <laughs> and like 40 yards, right? <laughs> yeah, he was, was, yeah. He had a hundred that game. He had, uh, okay. he, that was the 14 right. catch game, but you know, he had a 19 target game, which is, which tied, I think Darren Waller for the most in a game last year. Yeah, it, it's it's insane. Um, you know, to, to go off on like a, a quick Pittsburgh tangent because there was there was you know some talk about uh, blitzes on uh, and and kind of like blitz rates, uh, mm-hmm. and I wrote about that a little bit during the season. One of the things I'm, I'm interested in and is what Pittsburgh is going to do, right? Because there are some quarterbacks that were just on the the no blitz list. And usually they were like the, the top tier guys, right? You don't blitz Patrick Mahomes because he's great against the blitz. You don't blitz Matt Stafford anymore because he was incredible against the blitz. The other quarter, one of those quarterbacks on that list was Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, just because he didn't hang in the pocket long enough for a blitz to be. Yeah, why blitz him? <laughs> right. Although when he was blitz, he had like the worst EPA uh, in the league. He was down there, but it, it's just, it, the timing wise, it didn't make a lot of sense to blitz him because the ball was getting out so quickly anyway. Um, so what is going to happen is, you know, teams still blitz rookies. So if Kenny Pickett mm-hmm. has 
gets that role, or even if Mitchell Trubisky, because I think you can still blitz Mitchell Trubisky quite a bit. Um, Pittsburgh's going to go from like the, that poor offensive line is going to go from, you know, like the least blitzed uh, in the league to like potentially like one of the most blitzed in the league. So uh, I think we could also be looking at some, uh, some Najee Harris checkdowns too um there because uh they're going to want to get the ball out quickly especially uh someone like Pickett who's going to want to you know extend plays a little bit so I, I would say there's probably going to be uh some opportunity there um so but as, as we go into kind of uh these running backs and I think you know what we're looking for when we're looking at fantasy is like those top guys who can you know do both Right. Mm-hmm. And there's still not a huge selection of guys who do both and carry a high workload. Um, you mentioned in uh, your piece and kind of looking at the landscape, like that's why Christian McCaffrey is still so highly regarded um, in fantasy circles, even though he plays, you know, maybe 10 healthy games a season. But when he's on the field, he's a guy who has like a 97% carry share and, uh, and can still like have those valuable uh, receiving targets. So you have him as when, when we get into the rankings here, you still have him as uh, the running back too. Um, and it's interesting because we have Jonathan Taylor as the running back one. And I think, and as you mentioned, it's one of those things where Jonathan Taylor is getting so all of his value from, from running. So when you're looking at those, those two guys, is it, um, just because, you know, Jonathan Taylor has so much of that rushing value, we kind of have seen him be quite healthy. Um, is that why he is still the running back one uh, in your eyes as we go into it, even though that receiving production isn't quite there of what we've seen from like past running back ones um, in fantasy? Yeah, the, the interesting thing, too, is that we haven't had a running back one repeat as the running back one the next season since Priest Holmes and, you know, what, 2002, 2003. But, you know, when you look at just like a box checking checking stance, we don't need Jonathan Taylor, I feel like, to, to repeat as the RB1 to still kind of be a good fantasy pick right. still, right? Like, that's the, the thing we always talk about. When you get caught in these arbitrary lists, like, he could still be good and finish as, like, the RB4, RB5, and he still feel really good. He just checks too many more boxes than the other guys, and it's just like a process elimination. Because you look at, like, he's he's younger than all the other top backs. Uh, he's He's got that elite pedigree, that elite athleticism. He has the, the, the share of his team's backfield. And the team is literally built around him. We talked about a little bit, talking about Michael Pittman last week. Like, the team is built around them running the football. I mean, this guy had 20 touchdowns and over almost 200 200- – 2200 yards and they played behind one of the most injured offensive lines in the nfl last year an offensive line that is largely regarded as a good offensive line too uh only the saints were more injured than than the colts were last year in terms of offensive line continuity and playing the same five players in the field on a first snap basis so it's just kind of a box checking thing for me like if jonathan taylor doesn't finish as the rb1 i wouldn't even blink but i do think from if you're going to like rank these guys or you want to invest in these guys, he checks the most objective boxes that you would say, yes, I'm going to invest in this player. Christian McCaffrey is interesting because there's going to be so many people that are just scorned, right? Like a fantasy football is played that way. If a player does really well, the like, team players uh, are always going to, or gamers are always going to invest in them the following year because that person helped them win money. Debo Samuel is going to be like that a lot, right? Uh, but like Debo Samuel is like the sustainability of the actual stats he put out are like they're questionable, like, right. To be able to do that. 
Um, but a lot of people are just like, this dude won me a lot of money. He was a smash pick. You know, we saw like James Robinson the year before. Um, but Christian McCaffrey's been the inverse of that. A lot, all the teams have taken Christian McCaffrey the past years. Majority of them mm, hasn't hasn't ended well, it, you know. But when you still look at it from like a top down point of view, he still hasn't hit quite the age apex yet. Uh, he's right there on the cusp. And when he plays, he's just so dominant and does things that no other player is doing for fantasy football. I always compare him. He's very much like this era's Marshall Falk when he plays just because he carries so much weight in the receiving and rushing game. I mean, even last year, he only played five full games. And in those games, he still was the RB1, the RB3, the RB15, the RB4, and the RB3 those weeks. You're just getting so much leverage when he actually plays. And um, Matt Rule has to win games this year. Like Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers, like there's no reason. Like why would they scale him back? Even like adding a guy like Deontay Foreman. Like this, this, their feet are to the fire in Carolina. Like they – and they have two good players. They have Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore. Like, there's just – they can't really afford to scale him back. So, you know, you, you fingers crossed. You Hopefully that – you look at his injury history, and like I said, hopefully uh, in the next couple weeks here I'm going to actually have a, an analyst that has a better background than this than I do. But, you know, when you look at his injuries too, they're, they're kind of like more vague and sporadic. It's not like he has one of these things where he's like consistently re-injuring a hamstring, right? And like – so you know hopefully there's something there where you can just make it through unscathed and he's just been more unlucky the past few years but i get it like people are going to be like nope i'm not touching him but he still offers this one element that not a lot of players do in fantasy football yeah and it's it's one of the like the other thing is like you have to with mccaffrey you have to you have to buy into the the panthers offense which is if we kind of talked about, you know, on, on some picks, you like, if you just want to have a good time, um, picking the, the Carolina Panthers running back, uh, probably not a great time, um, for your, uh, you know, well-being and enjoyment of football, uh, from week to week. So it, you can see where that is, but, but you're right. Like when he is on the field and like there, I mean, again, Ben McAdoo is the offensive coordinator. Uh, so don't really know how creatively they'll, they'll be using him, but, and McCaffrey was like that first round pick coming out of the draft because of like what you could do. Like he was, he's, he would be a good slot receiver if he only lined up in the slot, right? He's, he's that type of guy. Um, he just, you know, hasn't been on, on the field, which the other thing too is uh, the Panthers. I mean, he, their offensive line is like supremely upgraded this year. Yeah. Uh, compared to where it was last year. I mean, they've really turned a lot of things around now. We don't know like Iquanu, like as a rookie, like, those guys, typically rookie offensive linemen, can struggle. But them just flipping out the interior of that offensive line, adding Bradley Bozeman, adding Austin Corbett, you know, this is a, an actual, like, can't, like functional offensive line, like, fully healthy right now. Yeah, that's uh, going to be blocking uh, for RPOs in that corral. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey, we'll take – hey, listen, we'll get a little RPO game. We might want that more than, uh, you know, Satan Sam back there. Oh, well, you brought up the, the the team element too of the Panthers, and what's interesting is we ran through a lot of those stats last week on the wide receivers about investment into bad offenses and bad teams and how that impacts the wide receivers. And it actually impacts wide receivers a little bit more than it does running backs. So it probably makes sense because uh, of running backs aren't totally dependent on how good their quarterback is compared to like a wide receiver. But I do have some of the data too for that. Whereas we look at over the past thirty years. Uh, running backs on teams that win four or fewer games 
uh, that are RB1s, just 6.4% of those guys have been uh, on teams with four fewer wins. Uh, 21.1% of all RB1 scores over the past 30 years have been on teams with six or fewer wins. Uh, whereas you look at it, over 50% are on teams with 10 or more wins. So definitely it, it impacts more receivers more, but it still is something you want to kind of keep in the back of your mind too. Like we still want teams, we want good team attachment too. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, teams are, are can be bad because of how they are handling those too. Um, you know, you kind of look at a, maybe a team like the Panthers that uh, wanted to get the ball out of their quarterback's hands um, on early downs and they weren't particularly good uh, at, at running the ball either. So they were, you know, having some more inefficient early down runs, uh, which didn't work uh, as quite as well. And I think it's, it's kind of the opposite when we look at teams that are leading usually are, are running the ball or late in games. And those are how you can kind of, you know, break some things and, and have, you know, just some more carries there. So um, that is, you know, one of the things that impacts how these uh, running backs are, are getting their workload. So let's kind of run through uh, your your top guys. We kind of talked about, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, your next, let's call him, what, let's go through the, the rest of the top 10 uh, I guess because they're, they all have kind of interesting and, and similar cases at least, right? So three, you have Austin Eckler, Derek Henry, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Swift, and Leonard Fournette. So uh, there's some of those guys there, um, you know, uh, the Derek Henrys uh, of the world who are still getting all of that value from rushing. There's still not a lot of Derek Henry passes catching. I don't know if we really want a lot. I, I guess fantasy, we would want Derrick Henry pass catching, but if you're the Titans, you probably don't want to be building an offense around Derrick Henry pass catching. You probably want a little more efficient. And I think that's kind of the same thing. Like there's been the, the Joe Mixon thing. Is he ever going to catch passes? We kind of saw that like a little bit last year, um, but that's never been, you know, the, the full aspect uh, of his game. So, uh, is the are these guys that kind of we just kind of you know we know their roles we kind of know what they're doing or is there you know still some some potential to to see more from some of these guys in like the you know the four to like ten range? I mean, yeah, you would like to uh, see more receiving from Joe Mixon and especially Dalvin Cook, who's kind of getting that early offseason steam of he's lining up at wide receivers, uh, which you hope to see a little bit. Because, you know, when you look at the Vikings compared to what the Rams did, where Kevin O'Connell is coming from, I mean, they did use a running back at wide receiver on 100 snaps last year. And the Vikings, I believe, were at 28. So there should be a little bit more opportunity for Dalvin Cook, who's coming off of his career worst receiving season by far last year but those guys yeah could you are our players when you look at like the archetype of the players the talent they are we know that they can be viable pass catchers they just never have really gotten like enough of that work and really smash but they could be like if you run into a season where we can just get those guys to get targets like you're flirting with potential being the rb1 and dalvin cook almost was uh, the rb1 a couple years ago uh because of just on the strength of how many touchdowns he scored when you had when you can score that many touchdowns with like 40 to 50 receptions you still can compete but, you know, if we can get like a 60 catch season out of one of these guys, like there's definitely something to, to work with there. Derrick Henry is kind of just like a unicorn, right? Like, and it, it's one of these things he's, I don't know if he's like an exception to the rule type player, but we're going to really find out too, because not only does Derrick Henry not really have the smattering of receiving production compared to the field, but he's also 
the the air quotes oldest. It's crazy. It's keep you know, twist twenty eight year old. This twenty eight year old guy is like old, but he's like, a, a, but the position and context, of the position. It's like, man, we're almost treating him like a dinosaur, right? And he's coming off like the first major injury of his career. So it's like, you know, how much this can impact? But he's he's twenty eight years old. If you look at it over the past thirty years. 66% of all RB1 scoring weeks have come from backs 26 years old and younger. And then that's even skewed even greater the past decade. 70.8% uh, of all RB1 scoring seasons the past decade have been backs, uh, you know, younger than 27. So he's kind of the last time we even had a back that's as old as Derrick Henry lead the position in scoring was, you know, Priest Holmes. And, you know, this is, this is going back, you know, almost 20 years now. Um, and the last time a back was over the age of 27, that was a top six score was Mark Ingram back in 2017. And he was 28 years old at that point. And, but then when you look at like where we left off with Derrick Henry, I mean, he still was pacing to be the RB one last year, kind of like right up against all of those like data points that I brought up. He was getting a career high, 29 touches. He's just one of these guys you talk about, like, is it, is it the age, the touches of these, all things have hit, have they hit a crescendo? Uh, and does that make that kind of like worrisome? And then you also look at the way the Titans are structured, though, and it's like they're not changing anything they're going to do, though, either. So as long as he is healthy, like they're going to run this thing through him. That's uh, pretty clear uh, the way they've structured this team still, even this offseason. Like there's not a transition that they've set up to go away from Derrick Henry being this just guy that just is a, the, the El Tractor Cito just carrying this offense. So he kind of was one of those guys you kind of just keep in kind of limbo. He's not a guy I draft a ton of when we get into like the seasonal stuff. Uh, this is when I usually start to look at like the wide receivers. We talked about the Justin Jeffersons, the Cooper Cups. Uh, this is when you start to do some unique builds, like basically after Austin Eckler, like those top three running backs, those dual threat guys, those, those are the guys I want to like really hone in on. And then it does get a little more gray this year. Yeah. And Henry is just one of those guys, like you kind of talked about him, you know, it being the exception. And it's one of the things where, you know, an exception is an exception until it's not right exactly. anymore. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, like so said, <laughs> it, it was it, the, the most carries we've, I think, ever seen from a running back through week eight. Yeah. Um, and, and then, he didn't have another carry in the regular season. And that was, you know, one of the reasons. And part of his play um, is, was a little concerning, even though it had yes. the volume. So it's something that is going to uh, look at uh, for him going into, you know, 2022. So in 2020, yeah. Henry had a stack box 27.8% of the time um, that jumped to 36.5 in 2021. This is per next gen stats. Uh, 1.11 rushing yards over expectation um, in per carry uh, in 2020. In 2021, that dropped to 0.05. He also wasn't breaking tackles uh, as often. Um, he was hit at the line on uh, 46.6% uh, of his carries, uh, which was running backs with at least 200 carries. Um, and with contact coming earlier, uh, his broken tackle rate dropped from 15.1% uh, to just 9.6%. And Ezekiel Elliott was the only running back with at least 200 carries who had a lower broken tackle rate than Derrick Henry, uh, who is a guy who... But like that's what we picture Derrick Henry, right? He's the guy who runs through contact. Um, so with more stack boxes getting hit at the line more, the broken tackle rate dropped. Then it led to an injury. Um, yeah, Derrick Henry scares me, man. Like, I, 
it's yeah. just kind of one, one of those things with, with running backs and kind of why we unfortunately have to talk about them the, the way the way we do um it's just like when when you have red flags like that it's it's hard to bounce back and even though tennessee had some improvements on the offensive line um yeah, they're still losing some pieces on the offensive line so we're not totally sure what those other pieces are, are going to be uh, i don't know if they're going to be as good throwing the ball because uh you know replace the aj brown with you know trailer burks and, and a rookie uh we kind of talked about you know rookie production um so uh, i think there's there's a, a lot to be concerned about just for that tennessee offense in general yeah and you look at like tennessee and not to go like super in the weeds on june 2nd i mean their schedule is like an objective nightmare too like it's an absolute disaster like they're they're gauntlet here. So they open up with the Giants. That's fine, right? Like that's a fine like Derrick Henry game. And then just look at this stretch they play afterwards. The Bills, the Raiders, the Colts, Washington, the Colts, they get the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Packers, the Bengals. Like that's not a lot of games you expect Derrick Henry to be like, all right, we're up in the fourth quarter. Like let's just feed him 15 carries in the fourth quarter and get the hell out of here. Like they play a lot of good football teams over that over over this over the opening like two thirds of the season. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things where it's it's going to be really difficult for for I think a lot of different reasons for Tennessee to play the way they had when Henry w- was on the field. Um, obviously, you know they have Dontrell Hilliard who you know played well, and one of the things is like Tennessee didn't lose a ton of efficiency when um, uh, when, he when was out, Henry yeah. was out. Um, uh, they actually didn't like change up a bit. Like they, I think they ran on early downs like a little more than they did with with Derrick Henry. Of course, like not to the and that's the, the frustrating volume. thing about yeah. the Titans, right? Is like we clearly they clearly got to see last year the exposure of their system and where the true weakness of that team lies. And it wasn't with Derrick Henry missing time; it was in the passing game, right? It was, and they did nothing to really kind of make the passing game better. Yeah, Tennessee is it's a real interesting kind of offseason and I them uh will have something you know written about this, but it's just one of those things where uh there a little bit of, of self-awareness though, because they, they could have um they could have like double and, and triple down, especially when other teams in the AFC uh have been doing that. And they were kind of like, Oh, we kind of maybe have seen what we are at our peak. And it's not really good enough to to compete. So uh, instead of uh, you know doubling down, restructuring Ryan Tannehill, kind of bringing that over uh, for maybe uh, another year or so, maybe we could have restructured you know Derrick Henry to open up some cast space and, and help with that. Um, you know they they didn't. Uh, so you have a, a rookie wide receiver. You have you know you're not banking on a, a third round pick to, you know, be the quarterback of the future, but it's a contingency plan that they have. And we, we talked about this a little bit after, uh, after the draft, but uh, Tennessee is just in an interesting place, but for, for 2022, there's still like some questions of, of what this team is going to be. And, and Derek Henry, I think is like at the core uh, of that and, and how we're looking at him as, as a, a fantasy option uh, is going to be uh, the, you know, one of the biggest pieces of, of how that offense really works. Um, well, one of the things uh, is interesting as we kind of like pivot to some of these, you know, and you kind of talked about Dalvin Cook and, uh, you know, lining up at wide receiver. And and we had this conversation actually with, with James Cook, right? When we, 
um, it talks about him after the draft, how, Oh, the bills say he like, he could potentially line up a wide receiver. And like so much of that is it's, it's from empty because we're seeing more and more empty uh, throughout the league. And especially with the Vikings, right? The Kevin O'Connell coming over from the Rams, the Rams run a ton of empty uh, last year. And when you look at um, the passing rates and, and target share, and we just kind of talked about um, how, running backs don't have the highest target share, right? I think they topped out at like 14.7%. But when you look at when teams go into empty, um, we have at, uh, seven uh, running backs were over a 15% target share when teams were uh, in empty last year. So we had, uh, this is where you can kind of signal the Naheem Hines um, siren here uh, <laughs> as he's always like that, that guy that you're always kind of wondering if you should draft that like toward the, you know, the middle late rounds. Naheem um, Hines had a 30.3% target share when the Colts were in empty um, last year. Uh, Kamara was at 23.7%. Najee Harris at 19.8%. Um, Aaron Jones at 18.4%. Austin Eckler at 174 uh, JD McKissick at 165 uh, DeAndre Swift, uh, right behind at 14.1. Uh, if we round out the top 10, it's uh, Javante Williams at 13.2 and uh, Saquon Barkley at 12%. So uh, when teams are going into empty more, and some of those teams, I think, well, as we shift in what those offenses are going to be, might see uh, some more snaps uh, in empty. So that's where some of these uh, running back targets are coming from at a, at a heavier rate than like in a regular passing game. And when you're thrown in empty, you're not really thrown behind the line of scrimmage very often. So we talked about at the top of the show, how those are some of the more valuable running back uh, targets. Uh, so if we go into like the, the Dalvin cooks, yeah, Dalvin cook, specifically like i think that is going to be a place where if he's getting the receiving value like that's going to be where it's from that's why he's lining up as a wide receiver because uh, they're going to be using more empty um and the vikings did use that uh, empty uh, quite a bit but they weren't quite as good and i think the the o'connell kind of rams version is going to be better um before you know kirk cousins and and that passing game in general than what um than what it was last year so uh, I think like that, that's kind of just one of those like very minute details that you can kind of look at where some of that hidden receiving value could potentially come from and why like a, a receiver or, or running back like Cook lining up at receiver does matter a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about the Vikings offense this year from a fantasy stance. I mean, from a real life stance, like they probably are still going to be like in that Viking strike zone of you know, what, seven to 10 wins, like play a lot of games that are, are close to compete. But I'm excited because they have so much talent and they're going to be not as playing as much of an archaic offense. Uh, I'm definitely excited to, to invest in some of these Vikings guys. You can stack the Vikings pretty well in a lot of these tournaments right now because outside of Cook and Jefferson, the rest of the pieces are just so cheap. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. They, they are going to be, I think, a, a fantasy-friendly uh, offense. And I, I think it's it's like they're, they're always good in efficiency, right? It's not like that thing. It's they're going to know, you know, blow leads, uh, which was like what they did last year. Like they had a lead in, in a lot of games. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if a new regime there is, is something that can kind of uh, reverse that uh, a little bit. Uh, Cause they were, they were never bad, which is the thing. Right. So um, I, I think that's something we'll, we'll see going forward with the Vikings. So, as we run through, like, where 
if you're you know looking at, at drafts right now and you know kind of doing your best, best ball drafts are kind of you know where where we are right now in june um when you're around that running back so you kind of talked about you know the the running back dead zone where where are you potentially you know making that cut off where uh, taking a swing on some of these guys might not be worth you know the the opportunity cost of, of what you're giving up at wide receiver which is another thing we kind of talked about last week yeah, typically you're seeing it now this year, basically that like early third round, uh, you know, you want to avoid a lot of those guys like it from basically like that round three through seven range. If you are shopping in the dead zone, because there will be running back selected in that area. The, the guys you want to target are the guys that we talked about, though. They're younger on the age curve and they have past game involvement. Those are the guys who have come out of have been like the hits in the dead zone when you look at it historically. So the couple of guys that do fall like in that area, like Travis Etienne is in that area. Like there's a path for Travis Etienne to be a pass catcher. If James Robinson is not fully healthy, be the primary ball carrier as well. Uh, so like he'd be a guy, like if you're going to make an exception to the rule, like those are the guys you want to target, but these guys, like even good players, like JK Dobbins, I, I'm, I love as a player, but like, he just fits like such the dead zone profile, right? He's not really involved as a pass catcher. He's probably going to share some work with Gus Edwards. Uh, you know, he's on an offense that is good enough to, to, to elevate him, but he's hyper-efficient. Nick, Nick Chubb has been living this to, to the, as high a degree as you can, but he walks such a finite line, uh, like what you get from him weekly. Like Nick Chubb is a complete better and a best ball type of running back. Um, he's had one RB one scoring week in his career in a game without a touchdown and just five RB two or better weeks in games without a touchdown. Like those are, those are dead zone type of guys. You need that pass game involvement. And and like I said, look for like a younger guy, like Brees Hall is another guy. He fits like he'd be a guy like objectively you say like, there's not a lot to love here. You know, he's going to the jets. How much work does Michael Carter get? But he fits the profile. Like if you're going to take a guy in that area, you would. But once we hit that that like wave, and my cutoff this year would probably be like the Aaron Jones, Ezekiel Elliott's, and like those are guys are still not really excited to draft. I typically have two of the top running backs by the time I've reached that point of the draft anyway. So then I'm just hammering wide receivers uh, all the way through. And you could the cool thing about that too is you can still take a wide receiver even in the first round and do this. Because, you know, in the second and early thirds, you can still get guys that profile as like three down guys. You can get DeAndre Swift in the second round. You can get Leonard Fournette at the back of the second round. You know, James Conner, like I said, Aaron Jones. Like that's kind of where that, that cutoff is. And then you still have Saquon Barkley, like who has just plummeted. Like we talked about people not still wanting Christian McCaffrey. But when you look at drafts, people still do want Christian McCaffrey because his right. ADP, his ADP, still is there. Like people are still taking Christian McCaffrey at worst, like at like four, like is typically the lowest I've seen him go is like fourth overall. Um, but like Saquon Barkley is like a guy that is like legitimately scoring people. Like he's going in the mid third. He's younger than almost all the backs we've talked about so far. He has that like elite pedigree athleticism, but he's on a team like people want no part of, like people want no part of the New York Giants basically. But he's also in a backfield with next to zero competition. Like Matt Breida is his backup who has not got tangible touches in the NFL in any of the past three years. And the Giants are another team. When you look at like what they've done on paper, like offensive line wise, like it's, everything is better. Uh, you know, not to make an excuse for Saquon Barkley, because but he came back from that ACL injury. It looked like he was back. I think it was week five against the Saints. It was like, oh, this is, he looks like the player where we left off. And then the very next week, I think the, the second or third snap, someone steps on his ankle and we just never see him look the same again. 
And by the time he comes back, even on the field, Daniel Jones is out. And a lot of people can talk about the Giants all you want and talk about bad an offense there, even with Daniel Jones. But this offense, when Daniel Jones was out, they averaged, they averaged almost four yards per play on offense when Daniel Jones is out. Like this, it's like it was like all time anemic. I mean, uh, so I mean, Saquon's one of those guys. I still like he he checks off enough objective boxes where like I still in the third round really really still want to take a look at him. I think he can really beat that ADP. Um, but I do get why so many people have jumped off the ship. But I actually think there's a lot of things, boxes that he checks right now in terms of everything outside of maybe team situation uh, that are still really positive compared to the field of backs that go around him. Yeah, like so just one of those things. That I, I'm interested to see what the Giants offense looks like structurally because like we, we know what Dable would want to do ideally um, because we've, we've seen what, that Buffalo offense have looked like over the past couple of years. It, it's not a lot of, you know, running back passing. Um, that was also because they didn't really have, you know, a, a running back who could catch passes in the way of Barkley could, um, you know, this is kind of why they pivoted to the, the James cook thing um, and why that was a big talking point for them. Um, obviously don't have, you know, the, the quarterback and we kind of saw it, you know, Buffalo would be a, a team that just, you know, past every opportunity they had. Um, I'm going to assume that they're, they're not going to be doing that, you know, with Daniel Jones and, and this set of receivers. Um, like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I podcasted about the giants for yeah, probably too long. Um, and, and it was, you know, in it, but it was in that, that Barkley era. And there would always be, you know, those like, there would always be a saints game. Right. Where it was like, oh, this is how you should use him. Like, that's the ideal version. Like, why don't you do that more? And then it just like never happens uh, Mm -hmm. ever again. Um, I I have a little more confidence in um, in in the coaching staff where like some of those things, you know, can be used. But yeah, again, it's like that is one of the things where there are the the injury issues uh, that that have popped up. I think, you know, some of his running style, his his running style still is, you know, uh, I want to make every play uh turn into the yeah the 80 yard (laughs) touchdown run um and that that has hurt him a little bit and even when like the the offensive line has not been good but at times he's also made the offensive line look worse uh because he's trying to do a little too much in the backfield that's just kind of you know what he is uh at this point so um yeah there there are going to be those big hits um in the in the long runs uh they haven't come uh quite at uh, as high of a rate um but uh it, it'll um it's going to be intriguing how that all fits into what the, the giants want to do but yeah if you're going to be you know taking a swing it's, it's still there's still the, the talent there and if like it, you're picking between like saquon barkley and ezekiel elliott i i, I think there's you know a very clear Oh, like what the the high upside uh, pick is uh, like in that area. Yeah, I mean Zeke even is one of those guys. Like I have not really been drafting a lot of him, um, you know. But like he's another guy too. Like he's not quite as dead as people think. I mean, look at last. I mean, only Najee Harris played more snaps than Ezekiel Elliott last year, and that was in a season where he like was openly the team talked about him being hurt. Like, like openly, like in like week six, they're like, yeah, yeah he's I, hurt. <laughs> yeah, is he really playing that many taps is not actually like a, a positive thing uh, for. But that's the it's crazy. So even if he's he- so you even if he's healthier, like you're still getting a guy that's going to be on the field a ton. He comes with high touchdown equity, obviously, in that offense. That was the only thing that kind of kept him afloat last year. And before he was hurt, he was 
a really good fantasy player too. Um, so, I mean, he's going to be another one of those guys too, that he's just, he's like plummeting. Like when does it, when does he, the, the stop fall in your drafts? But uh, like I said, I usually have two of the better running backs by then too. So I don't have to take on that. Like, well, the, the, the glass half full approach uh, when it comes to a guy like Ezekiel, but he's de- another guy that he's just not quite as dead as people believe he is. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what one of those things. Like there, there were certainly concerning things. Like when we talked about Derek Henry, the only running back with 200 carries who had a, a lower broken tackle rate was Ezekiel Elliott, and that there's not uh, it's not a positive sign. Um, but you know, uh, Dallas is going to that, that's another offense, right? Where uh, you know they they don't have the receiving talent that they you know had, especially it, when we'll have Michael Gallup out. Uh, that last little bit but like mm-hmm. they were at, at their best it, when kellen moore was like doing his thing um you know it's a, it's a, a fun offense with, with a lot of fun concepts and then it kind of it got less fun uh throughout the season and you know the, the deck injury i think played a, a little bit into that and that was uh, an offense that, that sputtered a bit over over the second half um the really fun things when when tony pollard uh, was involved uh, and that's just kind of something we'll, we'll we'll continue to you know shout at the rooftops about, but it doesn't yeah. seem like that's a thing like they they want to do. So uh, yeah, like you said, you know the Ezekiel you're playing a whole bunch of snaps is probably a thing that's just going to you know sometimes you just you follow the money in, in that, and uh, we we spent a lot of money on this thing, and we're going to use it. Yeah, the Tony Pollard stuff is frustrating because he's one of those guys like even like. But like my grandma could watch a game and be like, yeah, dude looks pretty good. Like they should give him the ball more and something just never happens but maybe with all these injured uh players leaving that we see him use like utilize more in the passing game more of those guys on the field together uh and then you plus with Pollard, you also do have the upside of zeke or whoever actually missed time you've got that big that big bonus as well but he's going to a contract here i'm curious to see what how he gets handled in the offseason for sure yeah it, that's kind of we're Feels like we've been on a Ezekiel Elliott uh, contract watch for for. Well, a I'm while. talking about Pollard though. Oh, Pollard. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because uh, some teams out there might be eyeballing like, oh, well, we can add this to our offense. You know, well, listen, he comes from that long line of like just like Memphis has just put a bunch of dudes in the NFL that like are versatile because it's style of their offense. They play at Memphis that are just like good athletes and they can just line up all over and play wide in wide open space. Uh, so I'm, I'm real curious <laughs> guys that we get excited about. And then NFL teams are like, we're not going to give these guys enough no, touches. We don't want to uh, do anything cool. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, you know, it kind of, so let's kind of, maybe we'll, we'll end the conversation looking at like some guys who like have the upside, but like, we're not totally sure what their role is going to be. And I think like yeah. Antonio Gibson is like, headlines that every year i think like we we want antonio gibson to be like the guy in washington and then that never seems to happen uh it seems like uh, the if we're going from like early reports through um you know off-season workouts here he's you know not the guy again um it's going to be you know splitting some roles so uh how, how do we manage like some of those guys are they um, all right, when you're looking at them, are they guys kind of in that dead zone that you're just uh, avoiding at all costs? Yeah, I mean, when you look at in the case of Gibson, I mean, just the peripheral signals are too strong for me to say like, well, he was a guy I was telling, I was expressing caution on last year uh, to pump the brakes. I was saying, hey, instead of Gibson, like Joe Mixon is the guy you think Gibson is. 
Uh, and he still was solid last year. I mean, think about everything that went wrong for Antonio Gibson. He still had 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. Still a productive player playing through all those injuries. But still, he his splits with J.D. McKissick on and off the field. You had a guy like Brian Robinson for insurance, who I still think is be more like backup than actual committee back. But there's just – there's just where's the extension where's the ceiling you want like I, I think to me the most interesting guy in like that area is probably cam Akers because he is the offensive attachment too right like we've got this we know the rams are an elite offense we know the rams will probably have fewer passing touchdowns or at least rate of passing touchdowns that uh, occupy uh their touchdown output i mean 80 percent of the rams touchdowns actually were passing touchdowns historically teams that rely on passing touchdowns skew back next year you have some regression you have more rushing touchdowns but we've also have a very small sample of Cam Akers actually being like a bell cow back uh, in the NFL. He wasn't really effective when he came back last year. They still have Daryl Henderson, who's gotten better a little bit each year's career, but also we don't have a large sample of him being a really ineffective NFL player. They had Kyron Williams. You know, this is a team that has not even before they got Stafford, even when they had golf, has just not thrown to running backs at all the past few years because none of these guys have really warranted targets. So, like, there's a wide range of outcome for Cam Akers. Like, I, there's, there's a totally bullish side where you can say, like, yeah, he has all these things lined up for him to be a potential RB1. And then he also has all these red flags that can say, like, oh, yeah, this he could just be, like, a brick of a draft pick as well. Like, I don't know if there's anyone that has a wider range of outcomes than him. Maybe Elijah Mitchell is the next guy, but, like, Elijah Mitchell is a guy that – we know is going to catch a lot of passes anyways to begin with, where at least with like acres, you can see there, there maybe is like a slim outcome, but yeah, th- those are, those are guys that have wide range outcomes. I mean, Clyde Edwards, Alaire this year is another one of these guys that, you know, the team just added Ronald Jones. Like typically the, what's been the roadblock for CEH so far to start his career is that he just doesn't play third downs or in passing situations at all. And if you watch him in college, his big thing was that he was awful in pass protection in college too, but you don't really pass protect on those downs in the NFL, which is the unique kind of like schism, right? Like that's like, it never always matches up. Coaches want to have a guy like Daryl Williams on the field for his pass protection, but these guys are running pass routes on those downs. So it's always, it's never really kind of synced up, but the chiefs haven't added anybody that can play those, those downs this year. Like who's playing third downs in this backfield? Like maybe Isaiah Pacheco, maybe like, so like the CH finally get those opportunities Ronald Jones definitely isn't playing those downs. Uh, and then he's got the offensive attachment. The Chiefs are just the unique – you've written about the Chiefs in the past couple weeks. This offense is going to be totally different, and I just am curious to see what his role is going to be on, especially out of the backfield, because they don't bring McKinnon back. Daryl just signs with Arizona the past week. Um, yeah, it's going to be really, really kind of a, a peculiar situation to what we're going to get him, because he's another guy that's just left for dead. People are done. Like, you can't – you couldn't say anything nice about Clyde's Lair and talk anyone into him at this point. <sighs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's just like we've kind of seen what it is, and especially like because because it was so hyped up last year, right? And I think like it's going to be maybe potentially like could be one of those you know post hype things because I think we saw like with that offensive line there was that idea that maybe the Chiefs could like be running teams out of too high, um, and that that never really happened, nope. but like that maybe could happen now <laughs> because you know they they don't totally have the weapons to be you know throwing as often but they again like i i did i wrote about this last week uh, i guess they have you know more options to, to be throwing so i think in a way the way they kind of spread things out probably is going to be tougher for teams who run um those those two high looks uh, against them so 
Um, there's a lot of different ways that the Chiefs offense could go. Uh, running a little more could potentially be a part of that and getting uh, some of those shorter passes. Um, but again, like the part of what the Chiefs had been doing uh, against those those two high looks was throwing quicker and shorter. And if you know Edward Solaire wasn't really involved there. Uh, when they were, you know, specifically doing that uh, against those type of looks they were seeing at like the highest rate in the league. Um, it's hard to see how much that's going to, you know, continue if they don't see them uh, quite as often. So yeah, the the Edward Tolaire thing is uh, something you, you got to keep an eye on. But uh, again, we've, we've probably kind of seen what what that is. Let me, uh, before we're against the time here, let me get your take on the, Aaron Jones splits with and without Devontae Adams. And how much was, was that necessity in context of a season losing Devontae Adams and then having to reshuffle your depth out versus an offseason planning not to have Devontae Adams? How do you how do you see like Aaron Jones's kind of like role as a pass catcher first? Uh, in context of like when we've seen him with with and without Devontae Adams on the yeah, field. I think, like we, we talked about this a little bit after after the trade. I- it's probably a little bit of both, uh, right? It was like he was the only like actual pass catcher. Uh, he was probably the best pass catcher they had, you know, on the depth chart. Um, and you could have said, and when we kind of talked about it after the trade, I think we probably assumed Green Bay would be doing a little more, um, mm-hmm. adding to to wide receiver depth. But uh, you get, uh, you know. Christian Watson um, is, you know, the, the guy who was added there. You have, you know, the two and a half games you'll get from Sammy Watkins. Um, and I say that as a Sammy Watkins defender. Um, so it's not, you know, it, it probably the, the wide receiver core did not shape up how we had maybe expected right. uh, what Green Bay's might have been after the Devontae Adams trade. So I think there's still uh, a good chance. And like we said, you know, the, the Packers aren't going, you know, empty at the, uh, among like the, the highest uh, rates in the league. But uh, I think when you look, uh, Aaron Jones had uh, 89 routes uh, from empty and 18.4% target share uh, when they did that. So, you know, 21 of his targets and 147 yards, he had the most, uh, most receiving yards uh, for a running back when his team was in empty. So like, I think there are still going to be places like that. I think we'll probably see some more 21 personnel from, um from the Packers uh in that that pony style where you know um Jones and Dylan are on the field at the same time um just personnel wise I think like that makes sense those put the best players that Green Bay has on the field um so I I think we will see a little bit whether they're you know in split back we do see you know Jones in the slot a a little bit I I think we can see some more mixing and matching there so I think he's still going to be a pretty big part of the passing game because they they didn't add um, you know, they didn't add really much to take him out of that role, which is kind of when we first had this succession, uh, or it was when we first had this discussion, it was what we might've thought would have been the case that they would have added a, you know, a bigger wide receiver to, to well, someone that commands that targets. Yeah. And, and they just, they, they didn't quite add that at least for 2022. Like we don't know what these guys might develop into 2023 and what the thing and what, uh, you know, the plan is for the future. Uh, but for 2022, I, I think he still probably serves that role. Yeah. I mean, they, they, yeah. Cause you look at it from where we left off, they haven't added anyone that just commands targets. Like this is going to walk in the room. It's like, I'm getting the football thrown to me. 
then that keeps it open. I mean, yeah, they're a team that could definitely be one of those like up and down uh, offenses too. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that is, you know, you, you kind of they're putting a lot of trust in the quarterback, and I think we've we've seen that over the past For good years. Reason. Probably, yeah, probably <laughs> it makes some sense coming uh, back to back MVP seasons. So, yep. uh, it's a guy you, you can trust there. So, yeah, so I think running back and and how a lot of these teams are going to be handling that position is something we're going to be having to watch um, in. Through training camp and and some of these offseason workouts, and and we'll continue to see how some of these you know muddier backfields or, or some roles uh, start to be uh, defined a little bit, and we'll we'll get more information there as we get uh, deeper into uh, you know some of some of these workouts and as training camp you know kicks off in in July. Um, so we'll, we'll end the show here. Um, you, again, you can find all of these uh, rankings, Richard's. Uh, write-ups on the rankings there's dynasty rankings uh he has uh, pieces on you know the the landscape um and, and trends for for all of these positions the fantasy wise uh that's all up on chart football analysis uh, .com. you can find all of you know his his fantasy work again uh is is free throughout the off season uh before you have to uh, get the fantasy package as we get into the regular season that covers the worksheet um and all of rich's other great stuff uh fantasy wise so uh, you can find Rich on Twitter at Ward Reeves. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Zuda. Thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you again soon.